Hi, and welcome to the Handbag Designer 101 podcast with your host, Emily Blumenthal, handbag designer expert and handbag fairy godmother, where we cover everything about handbags from making, marketing, designing, and talking to handbag designers and industry experts about what it takes to make a successful handbag. Hello, Haribabar from Warp. Thank you so much for being part of the Handbag Designer 101 podcast. So excited to have you today. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also very excited to have this chat with you. Like, you know, we were having this conversation before this. I've been looking forward to this. I know. How many years do you think we've been connected? Because what year did you start your handbag brand? 2014? It was like I started my entrepreneurial journey with like, you know, everything around bags around 2015. But Warp officially came into being in like 2016, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was looking back and I found a ha- and an email from you from 2014 because I have over half a million emails in my inbox and I don't delete them, which is a problem for some people. Oh, wow. that, yeah. You could call me an email hoarder. I just don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> I got to hire an intern to go through my emails and like delete them or something. Maybe when my kids. Yeah, but like you never... You never know what you'll find. Like you said, that you uh, adopted in 2014, and here we are. What six, seven years, eight years? Uh, a lot of this conversation. I'm, yeah, I'm not same. figuring that out. Oh my gosh! So you're in Pakistan right now, yeah? Yeah. Now, have you been in Pakistan the yes, entire time you've been doing this? Yes. So yes. So I've been here. This is where I started my brand from. But of course, like, you know, I do travel for work purposes, you know, just to see what's happening around in the world. And the idea was to make a homegrown label that is everything made in Pakistan that has a worldwide audience. So for that also, like, I do travel to Europe and US, you know, just putting my brand out there. So going back to 2014, you know, you came up with this idea, the bag and the brand is called Warp. What was the origin story and what made you decide, hey, I want to join that minority group of people who are making handbags? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually interesting because I still get that question a lot. So this was back in 2014. I was still finishing up with my business school. I was doing MBA. And while everybody was like, you know, looking for corporate jobs, I decided by then that that's not my cup of tea. And I really wanted to do something of my own, but in like, you know, in the fashion and design and technology and manufacturing space. But I just couldn't figure out what it was and what it should be. Did Um, you have any experience in that at all? Or it was like, hey, let me, you know, while I'm becoming an expert in business, let me just become a handbag designer because that's what I did. And it made no sense. And there was no rhyme or reason. It was like, I got an idea for a handbag. I'm like, hey, while I'm learning statistics (laughs) at a master's level, I should become a handbag designer. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that was it. I was actually... That was the time where everything was tech related and there were all these inspiring stories coming up. Everybody is really good Steve Jobs and, you know, how he started his journey and like, you know, that relentless ambition and motivation that if you want to do something, you can achieve it. If you have, you know, that kind of ambition in, in you. So that that was the motivation behind. And since I really wanted to work in the fashion and the design space, so I was like, I don't want to make clothes because that's something that everybody else is doing. So 
the next best thing that we could do probably, you know, based on what I find in the region that I exist in is probably let okay, let's make handbags because leather was like, you know, one of the reasons that why I got it to it having a butterfly of Pakistan. Like it's it's one of the largest exporters in the world for leather. So I was like, Kate, hey, nobody uh, why is it that you know there's so much of this raw material being produced here, but nobody has ever got it in Baludichin in this. So you had this idea, you were inspired in business school. Do you have, prior to getting your MBA, had you had any experience in fashion, family, anything, manufacturing, nothing? Or this was like, hey ho, I'm in a country that no. has manufacturing, that has that potential, but I have never heard of a brand, a handbag brand actually being manufactured yeah. in Pakistan. So I, I might as well be the first. Yeah, so that was the idea. But I believe that it was also because so in Pakistan, we're still like, a lot, you know, women especially, they still get their clothes stitched themselves. So like, you know, so everybody has an access to the tailor. So we've seen all that thing happening ever since, you know, since childhood that we, we used to source our own fabric and just walk to the tailor and ask them to stitch, you know, whatever we want. So, so in a way, like everybody is a designer in their own household. So it's like, you know how if, you know, if clothes are made like that, how difficult would a handbag be? So, right. But little I knew, but little I knew because, you know, it's, it's completely different sides altogether. How the construction is done, how the material behaves, like, you know, what components go into it. So it was like a whole, I would say, like learning process and the journey that I just went on. And I believe that it was kind of, kind of, it worked in my favor because I did not have any preconceived notions. So it was like, you know, whatever you could think of, you were like, okay, you know, we'll make it work. You know, the crazy thing about not knowing anything about anything while you're diving in is that the ignorance and naivete works in your best interest and works in your favor because it's like, hey, no one else is doing it. I should be the first. And then little by little, you realize, wow, the fact that nobody is doing it is equivalent to significant barriers to entry because the country is not set up to do what you want to do, right? Like you said that there were tailors wherever you went, but meanwhile, nobody was making handbags, which is interesting because handbags are size agnostic and apparel is all about sizing, which to me is always the dumbest thing you can get into because, you know, more wastage, more time passing, and therefore... The products go bad. It's out of season, out of trend. Where a handbag, you run into the, you have less blocks because a bag can be seasonal or perceived seasonal, especially coming from a smaller brand. Yes. So about the fact how going into handbags while apparel was so popular. So yeah, I was thinking like, you know, 10, 12 years ago, ready to wear in Pakistan was still like very new, nascent concept. Everybody was like getting clothes stitched according to their sizes and everything. So which is probably why, like, you know, that industry was much developed. But with handbags, the thing was, like, we do have skilled labor, but it's not in that much abundance as we see in the textile sector, as, as we see in the clothing sector. So probably, yeah, that was, you know, one of the barriers to entry, then access to raw material. Like, you can't source leather in smaller quantities. Even if you do, then, you know, getting the metallic hardware source locally is very difficult. You have to import that. So, like, they, there's a lot that goes into it. But I believe, like, you know, again, a naivety or ambition or motivation to do it. I just, like, you know, slow and steady on my own pace. I just, like, kept on building on it. So, when you started with this mission of keeping everything domestic, 
to you, that is. Yeah. Were you realizing, I mean, especially not knowing anything about anything about starting a brand, let alone yeah. a handbag brand, did you have notions that, okay, it's going to be leather or it's going to be textiles as a result of what I have access to? Because logically, that would have made more sense, right? To yeah. go into it with, with more fabric-based, textile-based notions yes. as a result of what you have access to, where you were like, let me just make my life so difficult where I'm going to have leather, I want to have metallics, I want to have special hardware, where you'd eventually yes. have to outsource probably a good chunk of it, at least to start. Yeah. So like I said, like probably you could call it naivety. But then again, like for me, the handbag was always leather. And I do, uh, because I was coming from more of a consumer point of view, because I had been a consumer, I had been a customer. So I was like, you know, it has to be leather. Or why do I go for buying handbags? There has to be something unique about it. Like if you're a new brand starting and if you don't have that build legacy or that brand value created for you yourself yet, then why would somebody want to buy your brand? So maybe like, you know, on that front, we have to think of how unique we can be like who do we resonate with maybe it has to be something very different you know something that more like you know the girls who like to experiment with their own style would want to go ahead with that was all the thought process that went into taking all the decisions but yeah and that was also the point like you know we have this amazing raw material available to us and why don't we do valuation into it and that was also probably because, you know, the people who have been managing all this raw material maybe have been always looking at it from a very manufacturer's point of view and perspective and not from a brand's perspective, like, you know, that something can be made out of it and or how we can use it. They're just been suppliers for the rest of the world. You know, yeah, it was like, I, you know, a lot of things going on. Like I said, like I was studying business and I was studying marketing. So I was also thinking things from the brand point of view. Right. We have another designer that I had spoken to who was from Mexico. And, you know, the stories of people who come from countries that actually have production, yeah. there's a lot of similarities where she actually went to a factory and had to explain to them that let's do handbags, let's not do shoes, let's not do what you're already doing. And I'm assuming you being a woman and moving to these factories where it was predominantly men and you know nothing about it, you have nothing to show for it, and you're going into this very male-dominated, family-run brand business livelihood. Yeah. So for you to go up against and being like, hey, guys, <laughs> Hera here. I've got this yeah. great idea. I'm in business school. Let's do handbags. I'm sure there was some pushback where they were going to charge you extra just even for the sampling alone. They do. Yes, they did. Like initially, like I had so many rejections from some bigger setups. They did not. What they do is they do one set of iteration of sampling for you. And I think the next one, they're like, oh, okay, you know, give give us an order for a thousand pieces first and then we will make for you. And, uh, and you were like, well, I really can't. So let's see what we yeah. can do. <laughs> so that's when I moved from like bigger setups to these very, you know, craft based, right? Family owned little workshops where, you know, these people had the craft, they had the skills to make something, but, you know, it wasn't refined because they have not been exposed to that kind of sophisticated design or quality. So right. it was more like a, you know, learning process where we were working as collaborators and where I was bringing in my exposure and my knowledge of, you know, how the brand works, how the design works. And they were bringing in their knowledge and expertise of how, you know, the craft works with leather. Were you having to bring in 
bags of other brands, you know, like with a sample request. And a lot of people, new designers actually think that they shouldn't be doing it this way, but you really should, where you take screenshots of other established bags and brands and like, I want a handle like this. I want a top stitch like that. I want a zipper puller like this. Because you were dealing with people who had never, ever dealt with this before, were you having to bring in physical bags and saying, I want the handle like this. I want the interior like that. I want leather straps like this, like bringing in a bag. Yeah, it was like, so I concluded that, you know, they were not able to perceive the concepts. Like if you have a certain concept in your mind and you make a sketch out of it and you are trying to communicate that. So they, at first, like there was a communication barrier and understanding that. So what we came up with was that we we made life-size paper models and we did like a lot of visual aid in terms of if you want to show them how the handle should be maybe you know make it out of clay or some other material just to show them how that you know like to get a life-size 3d prototyping and models to explain them at least like you know definitely looking out for references like that especially in terms of you know when they say that something cannot be done but you're like no hello you know we have seen this being done and so if right. you can do it, why can't you do it? So let's just figure it out. So yeah, I think that's just part of the research and figuring out how the developments work. You know, Kate Spade, and I held on to this article from a billion years ago that Kate Spade, when she did her handbags, she did them out of construction paper. So yeah. when I did mine, that's what I did. I went to a bead shop. I glued on the beads. I, you know, was taking this, it's in the beginning of my book, actually, these sad little glued yeah. sticky mock-ups that yeah. in like a little plastic bag that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So unsophisticated. And every time I took it out, it would like stick to the bag. I'm like, well, this is the brand I want to launch coming out of this, you know, <laughs> 30 cent plastic bag. That's yeah. so interesting to say that you were actually doing life-size models. So at least they could understand the specs and dimension. Yes. And then like, it just became like, you know, the, the part of the process. So even now when we come up with a new design, a new form, so they ask for the 3D model, like a paper model. They just say like, you know, you give us the paper model and then we figure out the patterns, we'll work around it. So we just found that our communication language that we came up with, I would say that, you know, where we both of us meet at the center point where, you know, we can understand each other. Is that where the name Warp came in? <laughs> Everything was Warp to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know, Warp. Yeah, since Warp actually came in with because I wanted to do something new, something that is futuristic, something that is contemporary, but built on what already exists. Mm-hmm. So even with like every handbag that we have come up with is based on the idea that we are trying to build on an already existing shape. Because if we want to do like I felt that, you know, as a consumer, something completely new and completely unique is put in front of me. I might be a little hesitant in adopting mm-hmm. it as opposed to something that is derived from, you know, what already exists. So that's where the name work came from. I always loved it in our own way. No, I got to tell you, I've always loved the name of your brand. It's my favorite function on Photoshop's. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, to someone who is a basic bitch on Photoshop, it's like, oh, if I can, I can pull it around. Who knew? Go figure. It's funny because half the time we're just called rap and we have to correct people that it's warp. It's not rap. I, th- I think it's just your brain because people just read the letter and they go. Yeah. So, yeah. So they just like oh rap, like warp. <laughs> 
If you ever wanted to start a handbag brand and didn't know where to start, this is for you. If you had dreams of becoming a handbag designer but aren't trained in design, this is for you. If you have a handbag brand and need strategy and direction, this is for you. I'm Emily Blumenthal, handbag designer expert and handbag fairy godmother, and this is the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass. Over the next 10 classes, I will break down everything you need to know to make, manufacture, and market a handbag brand, broken down to ensure that you will not only skip steps in the handbag building process, but also to save money to avoid the learning curve of costly mistakes. For the past 20 years, I've been teaching at the top fashion universities in New York City, wrote the Handbag Designer Bible, founded the Handbag Awards, and created the only Handbag Designer Podcast. I'm going to show you like I have countless brands to create in this in-depth course from sketch to sample to sale, whether you're just starting out and don't even know where to start or begin, or if you've had a brand and need some strategic direction, the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass is just for you. So let's get started and you'll be the creator of the next It Bag. Join me, Emily Blumenthal, in the Handbag Designer 101 Masterclass. So be sure to sign up at emilyblumenthal.com slash masterclass and type in the code podcast to get 10% off your masterclass today. Let me ask you though, because I'm curious, you know, India has a lot of production and all the other countries around have a lot of actually have handbag, like the Philippines has handbag production. There's now countries in Africa that are really popular. Have there been, because I'm totally unfamiliar and pardon my ignorance, are there other brands, handbag brands that have, I mean, I know there have been via the handbag awards I've seen, but none of whom have been very, very, you know, big. Are there other handbag brands that come from Pakistan and are you contemporaries with them? Not really, not really. <laughs> I really set myself up for a challenge here. But no, well, like, I think Warp is first of this kind of brand to merge out of Pakistan. We do have like one or two legacy manufactured brands, more like, you know, who are not known for their design or aesthetics as per se, but more like their craftsmanship and their you know, they're like legacy manufacturing brands because right, they had their right. canneries and they had their setups and, you know, this was just like a byproduct of it. But yeah, other than that, uh, I can't think of any, but like now a lot of people are jumping into it. But then again, it's like, you know, XYZ versions of handbags. Right. right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, look, you're an early adopter. There's your MBA word right there. Go you. But that's wild. It's fascinating that you come from a country that is known for, you know, local production, local manufacturing, most likely only servicing the local country itself. I mean, Pakistan is massive, right? And there's so much production that comes out, but not one handbag brand. So it's to that point, you know, I know there's been a lot of press on you and I'm thrilled to see that that you had the wherewithal to say, hey, if I'm going to be a one of one, let me take advantage of it because not only am I the first, because I always say if you're launching a brand, you have to be the first, the fastest and the best. Yeah. And this gives you an opportunity theoretically to be all three and have the media cover you for that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, that it's always a personal more advantage and disadvantage right. for us. The good thing is that we have no comparisons. Like we're not compared against anybody. Nobody, like right. nobody has any, you know, standards or benchmarks for us. So it's like an open playing field. 
But at the same time, I do feel like, you know, we have sort of like set the course for other people right. to come into the industry. Because when I started off, I did not have any precedent to look up to. Like, let's say if I want to start a clothing brand today, I have so many examples like the Mutual Monster. Yes. No, no, I think anything with human beings <laughs> that makes it complicated. Like you mentioned, like the sizing and all of that. So, and plus, I feel like handbags and accessories like jewelry is much more inclusive in terms mm-hmm. of fashion, adaptable to everybody. Like our handbags are being bought in Middle East and North yeah. America and, you know, East Asian countries. So it's like it's more inclusive in terms of it, you know, more universal. You know, to that point, I wanted to actually talk to you about that. Coming from a country that isn't well known for something like this, it must have been a challenge. I don't want to say struggle because I don't like that word, but it must have been a challenge to say, okay, I'm all the way here. Nobody knows I exist. Nobody knows what I'm making exists. Nobody knows that the country where I'm making it exists. How did you go about getting your bags out there for people to know to even buy and that they were shipping from Pakistan and like to make even the shipping amenable that you probably have to eat the cost to get people to buy from a D2C level. Yeah, so I had to invest a lot in brand building and brand storytelling in that way. Like, I think when you're starting off as a brand, it's not easy for you to go and participate in great shows and, you know, put yourself out there with media coverage and everything. But I thought that, you know, that's that's important because it's not it's not like any of the manufacturer. We don't want to be a manufacturer. We want to I want to build a brand. Like I want to tell the story of this part of the world. So from the very beginning, I have been taking part in these great shows and, you know, trying to tell and like, you know, the craftsmanship is as good as you could find in any other part right. of the world. Though, you know, the in terms of material and in terms of how we're trying to keep our everything local and so like all of that has been you know little putting together little pieces of puzzle where it was like media coverage as well you know working with PR working with trying to get influencers on board so like I said were you were you doing it so were you looking to South Asian influencers because you would think they were lower hanging fruit just out of principle just out of curiosity also, we are doing it now. We are doing it now. It's interesting thing was that somehow we have been lucky in that way that, you know, people have been very responsive to the brand. It's kind of unique. Oh, uh, yeah. Thing that, you know, people 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 like it. And when they, when they hear about, you know, where it's coming from, they get more intrigued. Mm-hmm. Also, because, you know, maybe some people don't know and have limited knowledge about the region or they have, you know, heard about some other brand or some other things going on. So, yeah, I think the response has been great in that way. And we do like have reached out to influencers from all parts of, you know, ethnicities everywhere. So, well, you know, you were saying that you tried working with big factories and they didn't know what to do with you. And it was probably, you know, all for the best that it didn't work out. Are you still working with these smaller artisan shops or smaller artisan mini factories and do you have more than one just to hedge your production so we have actually set up our own production facility now wow yes it was since last month and the idea was new yes it's very new and also challenging and i realized that if you want to scale and also like you know produce at because the kind of work that we do and the kind of quality and everything that we need we actually have to 
you know, bring in these people and like they have to unlearn what they know already and then you have to learn, you know, like what is required of them. Because we do have a big manufacturing industry here. It's both, both like shoes and handbags and jackets and all of that is exported, but that, that's mainly for like, you know, big department stores and things like that. Right. Not for, yeah. So for that, I felt that, you know, we need a facility where we can bring in people and we can train them according to what is required for them. Mm -hmm. And maybe like, you know, in a few months, we want to provide those services to the other people as well, because I felt that that's a challenge that I faced when I was entering into this field. So if I had faced that way, maybe we can help the other people or the designers coming into the industry as well who need this help, because I wouldn't want that, you know, Someone else also just like, you know, dropped the idea of doing it just because some big manufacturer was not willing to do work on their concepts because they're not used to working with in that way. So, yeah, where is that at the facility now? Of the people that you were working at this facility, are they the artisans that you had, the family run ones from before that you yes. just moved them into your facility under your umbrella? Yes. So it's more like a partnership thing. It's more like it's in partnership with them. So we were like, you know, let's grow together. Like That's we amazing. have been, yes. And also the fact that I really wanted to bring in more women into our workforce, provide them a like safe working environment where they can learn and, you know, earn their livelihood in a dignified manner. And plus women workers are amazing. Like they can multitask and they are very meticulous with their hands. <laughs> <laughs> My God. We were just talking about the word multitask here. That is so funny with my almost seven-year-old. And he kept saying, what's multitasking? What's multitasking? And I said, oh, it's something that mommies do the best and women do the best. And my husband walked by. He's like, that's not true. And I just kind of nodded my head. But oh, my God, it's so true. No disrespect to any male or someone yeah. who identifies as male who can multitask. But there's no one who can better do it better than we can. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but and it's true. It feels like, you know, they're very much organized and very meticulous with the work and the attention to detail and they really put in their heart and soul into what they're doing it like you know it's in build that they have to bond well i don't know if it's like years and years of evolution of you know proving themselves or something but <laughs> do you think and this is a question because this is a twofold question in terms of pricing because now with your own facility you know and obviously you're the one who's setting the bar in terms of pricing but Typically, what is your MOQ? What's your minimum quantity for your own production? Are you doing runs of a thousand pieces yet, or is it five hundred pieces? I think that will help yeah, so understand. So it's on rolling basis at the moment because initially I also like do believe in not having a lot of wastage. Yeah, so it's more like as per need. So that was the idea that you know we bring in more people as per the need, and we keep on increasing our capacity according to it. So if, if our you know requirements keep increasing, we just like you know keep increasing our production levels, and that was the idea of setting up my own thing so that you know we can scale accordingly. So yeah, like we can do like just in terms of infrastructure, we have the facility to be able to produce like five hundred thousand pieces in a month. But then again, like you know that. Depends on, you know, what the demand is like at the moment and at what pace we want to grow. Like, I don't believe in moving really fast and trying to, you know, do, do shortcuts and everything. I'm like, you know, I'm good with my own pace as right. far as, you know, we are, we can manage it. We're able to manage it. This is so interesting. You know, I'm so happy selfishly that I'm doing this podcast because I get to talk to all of my designers. I consider someone like you part of our community and yeah. 
you know, I stand by that you're only as good as the community you're part of. And if you don't support that community, then what is the point in doing what you're doing? Right. Especially with what we do, because the community handbags are so oversaturated that we have to kind of like, you know, it was logical for you to create a production facility because you was, yeah. you know what you went through. We just spoke to a designer who was in Morocco who did the same thing, who realized, wow, the local population, they can create beautiful bags. They have access. Da, 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 da. Are you making your own hardware too? Or are you outsourcing that? Just out of curiosity. No, at the, mo- no, uh, no, at the moment, we are actually outsourcing the metallic hardware. We import that. But we have recently started working on sampling with brass, little clutches, along with you know leather. So that's something that's in the pipeline. And because also like, you know, for the same reason, we do have a lot of brass work happening in Pakistan, but that's mostly for, you know, like decorative items and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that, household, household items. And also a lot of jewelry as well. Like, are you, um, so is your platform now set up for designers to reach out to you? And, you know, I get these requests all the time. I mean, all the time. Where can I produce my bags? How do I produce my bags? Who can I reach out to? And I'm always reluctant to connect these designers, much like you are now being on the receiving end with factories and production who have never had the experience of working with a sample maker. I always say, you know, in my opinion, set aside that money, make the samples locally. You're going to need money anyway to go into production, to start a brand, start a business, but work with a local sample maker. They may rob you blind, but at least you'll know locally what they're doing, why they're doing it, understanding structurally, hopefully that sample maker will explain, this does not make sense. The bag is too heavy or the interior is too dark or the closure is too complicated. They may or may not. A lot of times they don't because it's more money for them to have them coming over and over. And I'm sure you don't want to work with someone who doesn't necessarily have orders against, you know, the sample making process. That said, you want to be the one who connects with the designer and works with them to help grow their brand and so forth. So is there an opportunity to work with you to go into production and so forth? And what does that look like? Yes. How would that so, be? Yeah. So that's the plan. Like well, we want to start doing that by end of this year. So like, you know, t- starting 2024, going to reach out to people that we can produce. But that's, that was like also one of the, I spoke to a lot of local brands or also like, you know, the fashion brands also venturing into accessories and they want to get bags made now. So they've been reaching out to us for this and they had the same problems and issues that, you know, we faced initially because the thing is that, you know, it's not especially for a fast fashion brand or somebody like who wants to create or, you know, working at a very large scale and they want to have like 15, 20 designs every season. So then like, you know, we can't just communicate with the craftsman community. Like we just want the designs, give them the designs and they do everything. Then again, like I said that, you know, it's not, since they don't, they have limited exposure, they can't source material for them. They can't, you know, put everything together in the way they want. So that's where we want to come in, in between as like the middleman so that, you know, we can help other brands do their job. Yeah, which is actually our job. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Okay. Listen, Hera, this is spectacular. You know, we'll have to discuss this further because, again, I get so many requests from designers like, okay, I have a brand. Okay, I have a dream. And it's like, okay, get your act together, then come back to me. Because I always say, do your homework, do your research, understand your customers' wants, needs, what they have for breakfast, what they have for lunch, 
Where do they live? Do they drive? Is it a warm climate? Like, and if you're selling yeah. to people internationally, like you always need to know what their needs and wants are and that kind of money that they'll set aside to spend on a brand that no one's ever heard of because people yeah. will save for a label. Buying from a brand like yours or anybody else is much more of an emotional purchase yes. where they see your story, they see you, they see the bag. And it's a lot more, you know, the acquisition cost to gain that customer yes. is much higher. That said, you know, that 80-20 of 80% of your business comes from 20% of your customers will be much higher because they're now invested in you. Yes. So I am so happy that you were part of this. You look like you have one more thing you want to add because I see it. <laughs> No, again, like, I just think that what you said right now is probably the entire course of five, six years that I went through figuring out what the customer is, where are we selling, you know, what the climate is like, what are the daily habits, if we're designing a bag for day to night, how it should be, you know, whether it should be comfortable for day and gives you the whole day, you know, you can carry it the whole day. So all of those things go into it and you understand all of those by, so it's like a throughout the journey sort of learning. Uh, you cannot know those things when you start. It's something that you learn on the way and that's how it has been for us as well. Wow. Well, Tara, this has been absolutely incredible. How can people find you, follow you, reach out to you? Please share. So yeah, so our Instagram handle Warp Online. That's WWRP Online. And our website is warp-online.com. And yeah, so they can reach out to us through these two platforms. They can write to us. Our email address is, uh, there's a form on the website and email address given so they can like reach out to us or just drop us in a direct message. And yeah, we'll we'll, wear here. This is amazing. Hera from Warp, thank you so much. We'll definitely be in touch to learn more and may have to have you back to talk about how this production's going because I, I really want to know more. We'll be happy. We'll be happy. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you, finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, selfishly and whomever listens, I am so happy we were finally able to chat and connect and actually see each other face to face. It means so much to share these stories, especially your journey and like what you've been through, because people can learn so much and then get the opportunity to get the reap the benefits of your blood, sweat and handbag tears. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Hera, thank you for being part of the Handbag Designer 101 podcast and we will be staying tuned. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review and follow us on every single platform at Handbag Designer. Thanks so much. See you next time.